Welcome to the broadcast of Riverside Church in Princeton, North Carolina. Riverside Church preaching Christ and Him crucified. For more information, check out our website at www.riversidefwb.com. If you're someone who deals with a lot of um, uh, agriculture, you deal with a lot of uh, farming, you'll see that any kind of little plant can die because of insects or small things. Many times we think our sins are small before big God, but all sins are grievous before grievous, atrocious before a holy God because God doesn't want us to be sinful. He wants us to be like Him. He wants to, in fact, He tells us, you are to be holy as I am holy. But here the correction comes to David and Nathan says to David, for you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all of Israel and before the Son. And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin and you shall not die. It's good to know that Nathan explains to David that God has put away his sin. Now, we see that God has put away his sin because God has put away our sins. It's not that he took our sins and balled them up in a big ball and went to his, his dresser drawer and put, his, put our sins in his sock drawer. That's not what God did. He takes our sins and he places them somewhere else. And everybody here who's gathered tonight knows where God placed our sin. It was my sin and your sin, as well as the people who aren't gathered here tonight. And it was the sins of the world, those who would repent and trust in God. He placed those sins on Jesus Christ. He put them away. However, what God did not do is save David from the results of his sin. Whenever we sin, sometimes we have to lay in the results of those sins. If you spend years and years of addiction, if you spend years and years of being melancholy, and you want to be uh, shut in in a hermit, you will reap those things. If you spend years and years of unforgiveness and bitterness, you'll have to take medicine because your blood pressure goes through the roof or you have anger issues and you must have therapy. You, you will reap the benefits. What the Bible says, if you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap of the Spirit. But if you sow to the flesh, you'll reap death. But many times people say, well, Jesus saved me from my sins, but why am I still going to this issue? Why are my relationships complicated? Why, why, why are they still acting? I'm a new person. Well, many times Jesus saves you from your sins, but the rest we have to walk out and walk in and walk through. So David at this point, he, he has been judged by God. God very well could have uh, overlooked this situation. But what he would do in this situation as the, the, the pronouncement of Nathan towards David, it was years later that this took place. Years later, as Absalom grew older, he became a trouble in the house of David. And Nathan prophesied that God will rise up in the house of David, trouble. And many times when God brings trouble our way, that God preordained it, God ordered it, God allowed it, because we know that the Bible teaches that God is sovereign over everything. It's not like the devil snuck in the back door of the palace of David and stirred up trouble. God allowed this thing. Now, God was doing something with David because David was the apple of God's eye. He loved him too much to allow David to live however he wanted. God is disciplining His children. We read 
read that in the book of Hebrews. If God loves you, He will discipline you. He will train you. And many times, He will do that with afflictions and adversity and hardships. He will do that whenever He pulls the cushion out from under you and makes you uncomfortable and replaces it with thorns. I, I want to ask you here, Riverside tonight, how many of us will pray in affliction, but when we're prosperous, we don't pray as much. I know, I know it's a, a little dry, but does God have to tarry two or three more months for no rain to fall for us to pray? Let us pray now. Let us pray. I don't know about you, but I know of all the mass shootings that we've seen in our nation in the last couple of years. It had come up on the TV and it said, pray for Texas or pray for Oklahoma or pray for this. They should have been praying before the tragedy started. Let's, let's go ahead and say that. I know that's not, that, that's, that's not socially acceptable. It almost sounds like that's a little hateful, but let us go ahead and start praying now before trouble comes. Let us go ahead to the house of the Lord now. Let us seek God now while we can because there could be a day when we're shut in. There could be a day when you really can't come to church. Right now, I don't want to go. It's because it's a little sun. It's too hot. Uh, COVID might get me. Monkey pox might jump on me. Uh, murder hornets might get me. But there might be a day when you're, you're locked in and locked down or your body's afflicted and you can't get off the bed and you can't go to the house of the Lord. There's always an excuse to sin. But we'll, we'll, we'll stick to the sermon. Okay, y'all let me run down rabbit holes again. See what y'all doing? Y'all doing that to me. Well, we see that David gets afflicted because God sent it. I want to let you know that if you're facing any troubles here tonight and you belong to God and Jesus is your master and you serve Him, but you still have tribulations and troubles, it's not that God's mad at you and He's shaking and rattling His saber trying to get your attention. He's just disciplining you, making you to the image of Christ. Much like this podium, those who are listening by podcast, I'm sitting at a nice smooth podium. If the edges were not sanded down, it would be rough to my touch and it would probably hurt my flesh or my hands. But somebody took a sander or sanding paper to to smooth out the edges to make it useful. Christian, you'll be useful when the hard edges are sanded down. But I guarantee you, when He prunes you and cuts away things that don't need to be in your life, it's not going to feel good, but it's for your good. Romans 8.28 says all things, all things, cancer, sickness, COVID, debt, property plundered, taxes, all things. All th- they ain't good things, but all things work towards good. Amen. So even whenever I go through the hard times, I can rejoice knowing that my God is still in control. I may not understand what's going on, but I understand who's controlling everything and I trust that. Amen. Amen. So in this moment, David's being afflicted. David is having insult after insult heaped upon him. And I'll remind you again, I want you to relate to somebody in chapter 16. David is being insulted by Shemai. He's being called every name in the book. He's being slandered, talked about, called a, a man of blood. And, and pick up in verse 17, verse 7, and Shemai said as he cursed, Get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. I see where the Bible cleaned it up a little bit, probably a little better than what we would say to somebody when we was mad at him. Let's be honest here. Shemai has a, a bone to pick with David. For Shemai comes from the house of Saul. And we see in the heart of all those in the house of Saul a grudge that they have towards David. Just because God overlooked the house of Saul and chose David, some people are still a little angry and still a little mad. Many times people might be mad at you, but it ain't got nothing to do with you. God's favor is on you. That's just how it goes. But we see that Shemai continues. He continues to heap insult and insult, bitterness and anger towards David. 
I told you I want you to relate to somebody in this chapter. Verse number 8, The Lord has avenged you in all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. He's so glad that David is getting what he deserved. For David was the servant of Saul in Shemai's eyes. He was his number one man. He was general. But in Shemai's eyes, David under, undercut Saul, took his place as the leader of all of Israel. See, your evil is on you, you man of blood. David is now being accused falsely by Shemai. And David, how does he return it? Does he pull out a slingshot like he did with Goliath, aim for the forehead of Shemai? Or does he take it on the chin? Does he take the heaping of insults on himself instead of defending himself? Well, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 22-23, it says, Don't return revile for revile. Don't insult for people who insult you. Turn yourself over to the Lord and let him avenge. That's what David does here. Even though David sinned before God, he receives the correction in humility. We do well when we receive good or bad from the hand of the Lord. Oh yes, like Job told his wife, how shall I not only receive good and not the bad from the Lord? When I know His intention towards me, even if He brings me to the ash heap, is for my good and for His glory. They, Job told his wife, you're a foolish woman. You're speaking like the women who are around in our community and in our culture. You're speaking like the world, world system. How can I not receive the good from God and not receive the bad? That's a sugar daddy. If you don't know what that is, that's whenever you look for a sugar daddy or a sugar mama. I just want good from you, nothing bad. Don't tell me nothing bad. Only tell me good. He's not a sugar daddy. Our God is not a sugar daddy. He's our Father. A Father corrects. A Father steadies. A Father cleans, cleans that, cleans up, cleans down, holds us down, lifts us up. A Father is dependable. A Father is loyal. We have a Father in heaven. And in this situation, David is being trained. What's really in David is being on display. Maybe David, we know, we know, we've studied enough to look in chapter number, uh, Psalms chapter 40, 41, 42, and 43, that David has been sick for a little while. Nothing like a good sickness to put people's perspective in, in, in focus. It's, it's nothing like affliction to drive you into the throne room of grace to find mercy in your time of need. Nothing like that. I tell you, affliction has done more for the church than prosperity ever has. Look at our nation. Do y'all remember 9-11? For those who are old enough to remember 9-11. On 9-11, whenever the terrorist attack, New York, and the Twin Towers came tumbling down, uh, America was awakened that we have enemies and there are those who hated prosperity and freedom. So the churches on that weekend were full. Fast forward 10 years later, the churches are barely open. 20 years later, they're too scared to come to church because of viruses. Believing that God is not in heaven, that God is not in control. Has it been that we have abandoned God or is it God has abandoned us? Has He turned us over to our sins and allowed us to reap what we've sowed into? Trusting in our prosperity, taking advantage of our prosperity and, and leaning back and growing fat and sleek, folding our hands and falling asleep in our pews. Let God send adversity our way to waken the church up to say that I am still God calling to me when you are in trouble. Otherwise, we would fall asleep in our lazy boys and forget there's a God in heaven and even replace the God in heaven with our own selves. Well, we see that the man 
calls Him a man of blood. He's glad that His Son is taking the place on the throne. He sticks the dagger into David and twists it. He goes for his heart. He goes for the jugular. He gets personal about that thing. I want you to relate to somebody in 2 Samuel 16. Has this ever happened to you? In verse number 9, Then Asha, the son of Zerah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse the Lord, the king? Uh, now, I want you to know that Ashbi, we, we spoke about Ashbi. This is Joab's brother. And he is a man of war. He's a man of honor. And he sees that David is being disrespected. And Joab and Ashbi know that David did not come under Saul and cut his legs off. That Saul fell into his own wickedness when the Lord turned him over to his sin. That Saul destroyed himself. So he wants to fight for the honor of David. Let me go over and take off his head, is what he says to the king. But the king said, What have I to do with you, the sons of Zerah? He's saying, Aspii and Joab, what do I got to do with you? If he is cursing because of the Lord and has said to him, Curse David, who then shall say, Why have you done so? And David said to Aspii and all his servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more? May this Benjamite. David is owning his sin. David is saying, this man hates me. My own son hates me. How much more am I owed all of this? This is the sin that I've committed that Nathan said to me. There are people who sit under powerful preaching week after week and they know that they will reap hell. And they're surprised on that day when they will reap hell. But there are those who know whenever the trouble befalls them, when God judges them, that they deserve it. In fact, every day at the day of judgment, when someone passes on into eternity, no one is surprised when they stand before God and He opens the books and He judges them found guilty. For everyone and all of creation knows there is a God, that He is in heaven. And whenever we say there is no God, what we're trying to do is that say, well, we're not responsible for our actions. We're not responsible. We get to decide reality. I get to decide what gender I am. I get to decide who I have sex with. I get to decide where I spend my money. I get to decide what I do with my time and my talent and my treasures. But if there is a God, then I'm responsible before Him. And He has He has rules and regulations and statutes that I must adhere to. I don't like that. So I'm going to call my own fouls and my own strikes and live however I want. That way I don't have to have any repercussions. But the truth of the matter is there is a God. He reigns above heaven and He calls people to repentance, to deny their sins, throw down their sins and trust in Him. We see that David is receiving insult upon insult. And now there's someone who wants to defend him. David says, let him curse me. Uh, Church, I want to let you know this. There there are probably people who don't like you. I know some of y'all are shocked. I know that some of you are surprised that there might be somebody who don't like you. Maybe they don't like your face. They don't like what you drive. They don't like your clothes. They don't like the way you smell. Probably somebody don't like you. In fact, Jesus was the greatest pastor in history. There will never be anybody else like Jesus. Billy Graham doesn't even hold a candle to Jesus. Jesus was the best pastor ever. However, he did not get 100% of the vote. 
If you think about it, one of the twelve disciples betrayed him, hated him, and wished him dead. That's what took place. Even Jesus didn't win the popular vote. So why do you think you will? If he had a better, if he had a better thorns, you're not going to get a better roses. That's why he said, "In this life, I had tribulation, but take take hope. I have overcome the world." Well, we see here that David is saying that this Benjamin hates me. My own son hates me. Leave him alone and let him curse me, for the Lord has told him to do so. Now, uh, the, it, David had good theology here. He's saying this is taking place. I can't do nothing about it, and God's allowing it to place, take place. So God must have told him to do it. That's good theology to know because David doesn't hold a grudge toward him. God, David doesn't even command his men to kill him because David is in no place to have any pride here in this situation. So this is the correction of the Lord. If the Lord were to correct you, would you walk in pride, keep your neck stiff, and not receive the correction of God? If He were to set you over to the side, put you on a shelf for a little while to correct you, Make sure your posture is to submit to God. Lord, let your hand be upon me. Do what thou wilt. Smite me, rise me up, whatever. When, where, how. God, I'm yours. That's what David does here. We see his theology on display. He had years to prepare for this because he was judged and told by Nathan that trouble is coming your way. Much like you're receiving the teaching and preaching tonight, that trouble will come your way. So now is the time to submit. When the, the, the rod comes across your back and God smites you and trains you in holiness and righteousness, because I do hope that's what you're pursuing, is holiness and righteousness, that you are being a disciple, that you are studying God's Word, that you read His Word every single day. Yes, every, every day. Yes, every day that you're in His Word, honoring Him, Believing Him, walking in His statutes, that when He has to correct you, you submit and honor Him. That's what David does. I want you to relate to somebody in this story. He tells his mighty men that his own son wants him to die. And now this Benjaminite. In verse 12, it may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me. And that the Lord will repay me with the good for this cursing today. David is saying in verse 12, I I know this is wrong. I I know he's saying things that probably, that's pretty much not true. But maybe the Lord will look upon me and find mercy on me in this situation. It's not my fight to fight. I know they're saying that about me. But maybe God will look upon me for my good. When's the last time you prayed that way? Or maybe your prayer is God break them off, tear them down, destroy them. They might be even telling the truth about you. But here David cries out, maybe the Lord will show mercy on me in this situation. I want you to relate to somebody in this story. We see that in verse 13, So David and his men went on the road while Shimei, Shimei went along on the hillside opposite them and cursed as he went and threw stones and he went and flung dust. It's bad enough that David's been exiled. It's bad enough that he's losing his kingdom and his position. It's bad enough. But then this Benjamite comes along beside the road slinging insult after insult on David in his shame. I want you to identify with somebody in this story. 
Oh, you thought I meant David. No, I didn't mean David. You are not David in this story. I am not David in this story. This story is not about me. This story is not about you. If you identify with anybody in chapter 16, I want you to identify with Shimei that you're the one who slings the insults unjustly. That you're the one calling the man of blood and, uh, and, and doing the ha-ha moments laughing at your enemy. Well, preacher, that's, that's not a good sermon. That don't, that don't make me feel fuzzy inside. I don't feel good about that. I, I was relating to David because I've been done wrong. I've had people drag my name through the mud and say bad things about me and even hurt my feelings and even cause an offense to grow inside of me like gangrene, like a cancer. And I hold a grudge and a hatchet in my heart towards that person. Bitterness and anger and a heart of murder. Notice how easy when we take offense to someone, how it grows in us and it causes us to be evil and hateful and some facet in our lives. We, we should relate to Shimei. How? How do you how preacher? How do you mean? Well, I want you to keep your finger here in 2 Samuel. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 27. Turn to Matthew 27 tonight, and I want to show you how we as a congregation, we as the people of God, are to relate to Shema throwing insults, ha-ha moments, laughing. And even lying and being untruthful to a victim with our venomous tongues. In Matthew 27, verse 27, when the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him, they stripped him down and put a scarlet robe on him and twisted together a crown of thorns and put on his head and put on a reed in his right hand and kneeled before him and mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews! In this precursor, I told you that every text of God's Word as He tells us in John chapter 5, verse 40, the words, the stories, the parables, the proverbs, the history... The prophecies are all about Jesus. In 2 Samuel chapter 16, we are Shema throwing shame, insults on Jesus. We're the ones who were there when He came into Jerusalem on the day of the Psalms, whenever the, the, the palm trees were laid down and He rode into Jerusalem. And then a, a couple of hours later, we're around Pilate's judgment seat yelling, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! How quickly we turn on a dime! We're the ones throwing insults and shame on the Son of God. We're the ones. We're the ones with venom in our tongues. But preacher, I like it whenever you were alluding to that. We were David. That when people were picking on us and making us feel bad and, 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 and carrying shame. I want to let you know something. I already told you there might be people who don't like you. But Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest prince of preachers is what they called him. He said, let it be known that if someone does not like you, they don't really know you. If they really knew you, they really hate you. So whatever their outward perception of you is, let them say it. Let them think it. Because before God, you're much worse. Before God, it's true that we're wretched sinners. And if anyone thinks ill of you, let them think that because it's actually correct. But before God, we're all debtors and we need grace. 
Because we have insulted Jesus Christ. We've offended Him. We've poured down His goodness and His holiness and tread it through the mud. Even in the book of Hebrews, we've pushed down the cross of grace and tread over it. Here we see that Jesus is mocked in this situation. Knowing that 2 Samuel chapter 16 is a precursor of Christ and His walk of shame to Golgotha. He bore our shame. He bore our sins in Himself. And we heaped it upon Him. It was us. I want you to feel the weight of the nails in your hand tonight. I want you to feel the hammer in your hand. Let us continue. They kneel before Him, mocking Him, hell, King of the Jews. Much like the King David, bearing shame, they mocked Jesus. And they spit on Him and took the reed and struck Him on the head. Whatever shame we bear, that's nothing compared to this kind of shame. Here He is the most powerful being in all of creation, in all the cosmos, and He had spittle running off His face. Here He is who can call 10,000 legions of holy angels to slay His enemies with a word or even a nod or a wink. And He bore the shame. Yet, when people fling dirt on us, sling stones at us, mock us, we get upset. We're angry. You don't know who I am. You don't know my position. You don't know where I came from. You don't know my pedigree. Let us humble ourselves. In verse 31, And they mocked Him, and they stripped Him of the robe, and put His own clothes on Him, and led Him away to be crucified. Jesus was mocked. He was stripped down. He was beaten. He was crucified. We do better to be better like Jesus. I told you I wanted you to relate to 2 Samuel 16 if you turn back there. I want you to relate as the one who's doing the insults. I want you to be relating as the one who is the offender. And I want to let you know that when Jesus hung on the cross, He didn't mumble and grumble and complain against your offenses towards Him. He didn't get even with you. He didn't come after you to, to settle the score. In fact, all the disciples ran that night He was arrested. They ran and got away. But when Jesus shows back up, you would expect that Jesus will be like an old mafia Bob boss. Come and whack them to get them back to get revenge. That's, that's what we do here in our culture. We feel that revenge is a dish served well cold, very cold, on a platter of cold. We, we love revenge. That's why our, our, our soaps and our movies are so good to us because somebody's getting revenge on somebody. Yeah, get them back. But Jesus, as He hung on the cross, didn't utter anything about revenge. He said, forgive them for they know not what they do. He prays for His enemies. He prays for us. Preacher, I won't there. I'm not His enemy. Well, we know that we, have, we weren't born allies to God. We were born into sin. That we were, we were happy to sin. And it took Jesus to find us and save us. That He leaves the 99 to find the wayward. He finds the rebel. And He extends mercy and grace toward people like me. People who deserve hell. His enemy. And He brings him to the table with the family. In my house, we got a big marble table. And we like that table. And when we bring family there, we sit down together. You, you have a place at the table. Much like in the kingdom of God. You sit at His table. 
And He doesn't revoke your membership. He doesn't revoke your place in the family. You're His, regardless of how you act. Yes, I said that, but that does not give you a license to sin. If that conjures in your heart, all right, I'm part of the family, but I can do whatever I want. No. Whatever I'm part of the family, I realize that it's by grace and mercy because He prayed over me that I'll receive forgiveness and mercy. And I don't want to do anything that would dishonor that. If you're hearing tonight that I'm part of the family and nothing will change that, and that conjures up wicked thoughts in your head as you got a license to sin, then you're truly not saved. But if it conjures up thoughts in your head of mercy and grace, oh, I'm so glad to have a seat in the, in the throne room with grace and mercy and forgiveness. I, can, I can't even believe that I'm allowed to be here. I, I don't want to jeopardize that. I, I serve Him with all my days, with all my heart. That's the right and correct response tonight because we are the offender to a holy God. And He pulls back the chair and says, Welcome to the family. Oh, that's good to me. That God forgives sinners because that's all there is. We're like Shimei here. We're the ones heaping insult upon insult on David. We're not David here. We look at the last verse in this part. Verse 14, And the king and all the people who were with him arrived weary at the Jordan. And they there he refreshed himself. Isn't it good to know that God offers refreshings? Well, I told you, you're not, lying. You're not David, but He does refresh you. Uh, we always hear where there's a phrase that God won't put more on you than you can bear. That's really, really not true. God really puts more on you than you can bear, so you'll lean on Him every time. Even Paul said that we were, we, were tr- we, were, uh, we were troubled beyond life, that we thought we were going to die in Corinthians. He said it was overwhelming to us. But God quickens our hearts, and we know that He can even resurrect the dead. That our God is the God of the impossible, even when we know it's impossible. He overlooks our abilities and our talents, and He goes beyond that. He is, His hand is on you. This is, this is too big for me to have peace in this situation. Well, look to Jesus. I don't know how I can hold this thing together. You can't. So look to Jesus. I don't know where I can find peace. I don't know where all this, how all this is going to work out. Well, look to Jesus. I don't know how I'm going to work out this relationship. Turn it over to Jesus. I don't know how I'm going to get assurance in this situation. Ask Jesus to give you peace about it. Come to Jesus. Now we see in verse 15, Absalom now enters in Jerusalem. Notice it's in all of God's timing. I want to let you know here tonight that God is in control of all time zones and every climate, ecosystem. God is in control. Now Absalom and all the people of Israel came to Jerusalem and Athiel with him. And when Hushai the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, Hushai said to Absalom, How long, how long live the king? Long live the king. Now remember we saw in, in chapter 15 that his friend Hushai was the friend of David. Not only was he a counselor, but he was his friend. We can read in 1 Chronicles that it was stated that Hushai and David were friends, which was beyond, beyond just a counselor. And Absalom said to Hushai, Is this your loyalty to your friend? Even Absalom in this moment knew that Hushai should have been with David. 
How is it, how is it that a Christian who is now here in the uh, overthrowing of uh, David is now found among the people of, of Absalom? For Absalom was a godless group of people. They, 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 they would do any means necessary to go and take the throne of David. They lied. They steal. They, they killed to get the position of David. And now they're questioning Hushia, who was a friend of David, who David was righteous who had a theology of worship and honoring God and now he finds himself sticking out like a sore thumb in the cabinet of Absalom he says what are you doing here why aren't you with your friend is this how you show your loyalty why did you not go with your friend in verse 17 and Hushia said to Absalom no for from whom the Lord his people and all the men of Israel have chosen his I will be and with him I will remain we see where Hushia uses actually a twisting of words. He's actually pledging allegiance there to David. Because it was God who put David on the throne. It was God who brought the trouble into David's household. It was God who had Absalom march into the, the, into the, the capital city of Israel. And he's saying, I'll be loyal to God's man and I will remain. In verse 19, and again, whom shall I serve? Should I not be with his son? As I have served your father, so I will serve you. Remember, David actually put legs on his prayers. He, he was praying to God that his old counselor would have his counsel towards Absalom uh, under, undermined at this situation. And in this moment, he actually sends Hushai back there to cause, cause the counsel of his old counselor to be brought down. In verse 20, then Absalom said, After you Give your counsel. What shall we do? Athenel said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house. And all Israel will hear that you have made yourself a stitch in your father, and the hands of all those who are with you will be strengthened. Now, let me remind you in verse 21, Athenel was actually the, the grandfather of Bathsheba. He, he was a mighty man. He fought one of the, he was one of David's mighty men, one of his mighty warriors. And I'm not sure, the Bible doesn't make it clear, but it's possible as he was a counselor to David, this was a revenge plot to pay back David for what he did to Bathsheba and Uriah whenever he had Uriah killed at the hands of Joab. That Athenia was a wise counselor and he tells Absalom to go to the concubines that David left behind to take care of the house while David was abandoning the capital of Israel. And so in verse 22, so they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof. And Absalom went to his father's concubines and the sight of all Israel. In verse 22, we can see on the top of the palace that there was a, a, a tent placed there. And he did this in public view of all to see. Now, let me remind you what we just read in 2 Samuel chapter 12 that the prophet Nathan said, I'm going to do this thing publicly, what you did in private. I'm going to shame you in front of everyone. Now, if God were to shame you in front of everyone, what would your reaction be? Would you run and find a hole to bury yourself in? David pretty much is doing that. 
But David also said in chapter 15, if the Lord is pleased with me, He'll bring me back. So what does David do? He simply puts the correction, the shame, all of that. He puts it into the hand of God. And if God heaped it upon him, he receives it. Let us live in such a way. If God wants to promote us, promote us. Let it be for His glory and our good. If He sees fit to shame us, see fit to do that, Lord. Because it will be for Your glory and for our good. Here we see that Absalom shames his own father before all of Israel. Athniel knew what he was doing. He was sticking that last dagger into the heart of David. And he also made it where Absalom and David probably would not be reconciled. For David was a godly man, but his son was not. Just because your mama and daddy and them love Jesus don't mean that you'll get to go to heaven on their coattails. For Solomon, who will rise up later on as another king, as one of the wisest men who ever lived, he wrote Ecclesiastes and most of the Proverbs and the Song of Solomon. He was a wise man, but his son, Joram, he was not. Holiness does not run through DNA. Righteousness is not inherited. It's only found in Jesus Christ. Our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Whenever I say personal relationship, that means that you speak with Him because you have a relationship. You pray to Him. You honor Him. You live for Him. He is your King. I want to let you know that everyone serves a King. Everyone has something that rules sovereignty or sovereignly over their life. Either a drug, alcohol, a habit, themselves, somebody or something. They serve something. They worship something. Something reigns over them. And tonight, if it ain't Christ, that king is a horrid king, a horrible tyrant who will take any and everything from you. He will promise you everything, but deliver nothing and take what you do have for Himself. But Jesus, the good and faithful king, the loyal king, does not send armies to redeem His subjects. He does not gather knights and warriors and soldiers and chariots to go and fight to save His people. He Himself comes. In our society and in our history, we know that generals call the shots from behind the lines where the war takes place. They send out cavalry. They send out bowmen. They send out riflemen. They send out tanks, helicopters. They make plans in the back room to send the grunts to do the hard work. But that's not so in the kingdom of God. For the king himself marches into hell to save his people. It was Jesus himself who came to ransom wretched sinners like ourselves. And it was us who were the offenders. We, the issue, we were Shemiels in this situation. We were heaping shame upon shame on Christ. And yet He died for a wretch like me. Now we see the offense between Absalom and David has grown. In verse 23, and we'll finish up chapter 16 here tonight. Now in those days, the council of Athamiel gave was one of the consulted the Word of God. So it was all the council Athel esteemed both by David and Absalom. We see that Athel, he had wise wisdom. He was very technical and discreet. He was wise in his counsel. However, we'll eventually see in chapter 17 that God will thwart the wise. He will, he will throw a monkey wrench in the wise because... 
The thing about worldly wisdom is we try to get proud of ourselves and believe that we get where we are by our own merit and by our own hustling. But really, it's the work of God. And we even read in 1 Corinthians that God doesn't choose the wise of the world. Those with pedigrees, those with PhDs, those who have an understanding of wisdom. But He takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. If the truth be known, God should not have chosen us because we were liars and thieves and murderers and we insulted Him and we deserve nothing but His wrath. But He has heaped grace upon grace upon us and called us His children whenever He should have orphaned us to sin. Instead of returning wrath for wrath, He has returned grace upon us and bore our wrath in the body of Jesus Christ. That doesn't cause us to be arrogant, cocky, and prideful. It humbles us every time because it was Jesus who bore our sins. It was our King who died in our place. It was our God who died to save us. So who are we to be cocky? Who are we to hold back forgiveness to somebody else? Who are we to judge anyone when our God died for us? Let us bow our heads and pray.